0: You know, sometimes we, we judge according to the flesh. Have you ever heard the saying, don't, don't judge a book by its cover? Yes. Oh, yeah. Or don't judge a gift by its wrapping? Mm-hmm. Amen? Uh, God has a way of hiding the best gifts yes, in the most uh, inconspicuous ways. Amen. Amen. A lot of times God wants to bless us but in order for, to uh, reserve the blessing for us, He has to conceal it from everybody else. Yes. Yes. Understand? Yes. Yes. But then when He starts moving us towards that blessing, we resist yes. because we don't understand that He's directing us to a blessing. Yes. And He wants to do something good in our life. All we see is what everybody else sees which is maybe a briar patch or maybe a, you know, a, a dry place. But God wants to take us down that path because He wants to bless us. When God took Israel out of Egypt, the, the place of bondage, the place of slavery, and brought them out, He didn't bring them out to take them out into the desert and kill them. He brought them out, the Bible says, He brought them out so He could bring them in. He brought them out of egypt so he could bring them into the promised land but they balked at going into the promised land because of what they saw they saw giants they they did see that it was a beautiful land they did see that it was a land that flowed with milk and honey they did see that it was a wonderful place to live but they also saw the giants and so they accused god Ten of the twelve spies, you know, said we, uh, we are not able to go up and take it because we are like grasshoppers in their sight. Y'all remember that story? Do you remember how it angered God? The Bible from that point on refers to it as the great provocation. They provoked God's anger. All ten of those were killed that night by God. God killed them. He was so angry. Well, the next morning when the people found out that they, had, that they were dead, the people began to murmur against God, saying you didn't have any right to kill those guys. And God just sent a plague among them. And they started dropping like flies. I mean, they were dying all over the place. God intended to bring them all into the promised land, but they provoked Him. And they said, you brought us out here so we would die in the wilderness. And so God says, well, you said it, you've got it. By the way, we serve the same God. He hasn't changed. So we don't want to see, you know, God's moving us into a place of blessing and then have us kicking and screaming the whole way. Let's learn from the mistakes that we see in the Bible. And let's let's not make those same mistakes. Amen. I we had a, a, a technician come to our house Friday to uh, um, you know our dryer vent has a, a a fan in the system somewhere this exhaust fan that pulls it out and then, then it has a, a little device that works off the, the pressure from the dryer and it. It uh, turns the fan on. It's like a uh, pressure switch. It feels the pressure from the dryer, and it turns the fan on. So the fan doesn't run all the time. Well, that that pressure switch was was malfunctioning, so we ordered a replacement, and he came out to install it. And he normally has, he's 80 years old, and he's trying to turn his business over to this younger guy, And he's training some young guys. And one of the young guys that had come out earlier, I said, where's so-and-so? And And he said, oh, he had a heat stroke. I said, he's 20 years old. What's he doing getting a heat stroke? He didn't follow my advice. I told him drink lots of water, stay hydrated, and he didn't do it. He's 20 years old. He thinks he's invincible. Mr. Macho Man. So he didn't drink enough water, and he had a heat stroke. He's going, to get all, he's going to get better. He's going to be all right. But, you know, if he had just listened to the old man. That's right. I tried to save him. You know, he says, you know, uh, uh, I tried to give him the benefit of my own experience. Thank you. Thank you. Now, is there anybody more experienced in our lives? Do you know of anybody more experienced than God himself? And the Bible says he's full of wisdom. And he offers it to us. And if God tells you something about yourself that you find hard to believe, you need to just trust the one who knows everything. Amen? Amen? And we're going to see this in, in, the, in the story of Gideon here this morning. Uh, look in Judges chapter 6. And I'm, How many of you know the story of Gideon? Good. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, y- if you don't and you want to know it in detail, it's right here in the book of Judges. I'll tell you what. There's some whole awesome stories in the Book of Judges, and it's not a big book. But man, they ought to make a movie out of every one of these guys. Amen. Amen. I, I, if I was going to make a series, of, you know, uh, movie series, I, I'd just make a, a, a series on the Book of Judges. Amen. I can think of a lot of different actors that I could that I would employ, in some, you know, because Samson's in there, you know, Delilah's in there. Uh, 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 you know, uh, Pee Wee Herman. He's not in there. And uh, so anyway, uh, you need to read that story again, Harold. Okay, so I don't know who I would get to play Gideon, but Gideon is a a very interesting person. And uh, we're just going to jump into the story. You know the Midianites, every time the Israelites grew a crop, the Midianites would come in like grasshoppers, and, and devour it, and what they couldn't devour, they would just burn the fields. And so the, the Israelites were going through a period of starvation. I mean, they were, they were nearly starving to death because every time they, they had a crop, here comes the Midianites. And the Midianites had already taken all their donkeys and all their cows and all their sheep and all their livestock, so they, they had nothing. And so Gideon had managed to, he had managed to grow some grain. And so he's, he's hiding in a place where you don't normally thresh the grain, a wine press. And he's, uh, and he's trying to, you know, secretly grind out some, some grains so he can make some flour. And, uh, and he's, uh, he, he's looking over his shoulder all the time. I'm hoping the Midianites don't discover him because they'll come and take his grain. And, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen Western movies based off of that where this little village always gets uh, 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 robbed by the, uh, you know, Ali Baba and his men. You know, they come riding in. And they take all the crops and leave people. So you've got to get, you know, the Magnificent Seven to come in and rescue you, right? Well, God wasn't looking for a magnificent seven. He was looking for Gideon. And, uh, and so here in, in verse 11, Judges six eleven, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizrite. So th- this was uh, uh, Joash's land. Joash was uh, Gideon's father. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Hmm. And Gideon said unto him, O oh my Lord, O oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our Father told us? of saying did the Lord not bring us up from Egypt but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites now this is what you need to understand about the Bible the Bible is truth but not everything in the Bible is the truth the Bible is true all this is a true account But what Gideon said about God is not true. He's falsely accusing God. God didn't forsake them. Who did the forsaking? They did. They They forsook God. But, But Gideon, he's all messed up in his theology. He's all messed up in his history. He doesn't know the true facts. And so here he is. (laughs) <laughs> the angel of the Lord is calling him a mighty man of valor, to whom the Lord is with, and he said, "Not so." He's first. First of all, he said, "No, the Lord isn't with me. If the Lord was really with me, I I wouldn't be in this in this place. I wouldn't be secretly hiding, trying to thresh out a little bit of wheat." By the way, his father was the, a landowner. And they had servants. You remember uh, later in this story, God sends them out to tear down the, the idol groves, and he takes ten of his servants with him. So he's rich enough that, you know, they have land and they have servants, and yet he's poor enough that he himself is trying to thresh out some wheat. So, he, you know, he's like the poor little rich kid. And I've met a lot of folks who, who, you know, had property, had land, had houses, but they couldn't pay to keep the lights on. (coughs) Amen? Amen. Maybe you've been in that place where you've had property, you've had a house to live in, you've had cars to drive, but you couldn't afford to buy groceries. Anybody ever been there? I've been there. You know, I had a, uh, years ago, I lived. I lived in a, uh, uh, a community, uh, bedroom community outside of Dallas. I was pastoring a church there, and it it had a lake, and and, and the, uh, from the shores of the lake all up the, all the way up the hill. Uh, we call it, we call that Snob Hill <laughs> because all of the executives built mansions down there. I mean, this is back in the in the '70s. And the average home price down on Snob Hill was, you know, uh, between $400,000 and $500,000. These were mansions back then. Of course, we lived on the other side of the hill in a stone stone parsonage made out of stones they hauled from Arkansas. You know, it felt like I was living in a cave. But uh, anyway, we were on the other side of the hill and one of the guys you know one of the uh, power company guys uh, I was talking to him one day cuz he came out to put a meter on or something for us and and i i, I was talking about you know uh, i don't know how we got off on the subject of you know the rich and the poor but he worked both sides of the hill he worked the snobs hill and he worked over here where us uh, working slobs lived and and so We're talking about the contrast, and he says says 90% of his cutoff orders are on Snob Hill. He said he's cutting people's electricity off all the time down there because they don't pay their bill. He said either they can't pay them or they just neglect to pay them. He said they've got boats on the lake, they've got fancy cars, they've got these fancy houses, but they can't hardly keep their lights on. And he said some of those folks, when, it get, when they get under a lot of pressure, they blow their brains out. On this side of the hill where you live, when people can't afford to, you know, keep their lights on, they just, they just light candles. They don't even think about blowing their brains out. They know, how to, they know how to cope. But there's people over there in Snob Hill, they don't know how to cope. Well, I don't know where Gideon was, but I have a feeling he was more of a Snob Hill dweller than he was, you know, a poor slob. I mean, I would agree it's probably it was probably that since his dad owned land and since he had 10 servants, you know, he had to have more than, you know, the average Joe, right? But still, they were in such a impoverished condition in that country that even the rich boys were having to uh, eke out a way to eat. And in the middle of all this, the angel of the Lord comes and says, Hey, the Lord is with you. It's like the time when I turn my car over. And uh, I'm standing out on the side of the road. My car's upside down. I'm looking at it. It's, it's raining. I'm just standing there soaked in the rain. And this guy drives up. And he says, anybody with you? And I said, the Lord was with me. And the, guy, the guy literally said, you better let him ride with me. You're going to kill him. In other words, it don't look like the Lord was with you. But truly, you know, the reason I was able to stand there without being dead or bleeding was because the Lord was with me. The Lord took care of me. But sometimes what what looks to us like God is with us is not necessarily the truth. And Gideon, you know, Gideon immediately challenged the angel saying, well, if that's the case, then why why are we living like this? Why has God forsaken us? And, of course, the answer was you have forsaken God. Amen? And, uh, and then uh, then he found issue with that phrase, thou mighty man of valor. Look at verse, uh, let's start up with verse 14. The Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord. See, he's, he's full of O oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Now, how's how am I going to do that? Wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Well, I'm the youngest in my father's house. That meant that he was not going to inherit the land. His, older, his oldest brother would inherit everything. So he's going to be his brother's servant. And, and uh, he said, he said I, I am the least in my father's house. You got the wrong guy. Boy, we've heard that before, haven't we? You've got the wrong guy. Isn't that what Moses told the Lord at the burning bush? You got the wrong guy. Isn't that what everybody thought about David? They thought, man, God picked the wrong guy there. Even Samuel, the prophet, scratched his head on that one. Amen? Samuel never would have picked David. Someone in the flesh looking out through the fleshly eyes would never pick David to be king of Israel. But God saw something that no one else saw. God saw something in Gideon that no one else saw. And, And so he says, I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. You know, God was saying to Gideon, Gideon, it doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter that you're the youngest of your, your father's house. The fact is, I am with you, and that changes everything. I am with you changes everything. And isn't that the Lord's name, Emmanuel? His name is Emmanuel, which means the Lord is with you. You see, if the Lord is with you, then there's something in you that you, yourself, don't even realize. You don't realize the potential that is in your life simply because God is with you. And unless you haven't realized it yet, I I have the great privilege of announcing to you this morning that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have surrendered your life to him, not only is he in control of your life, but he is with you. He said, I am with you. He said, low, I am with you. And I think he means even high, I am with you, low or high or middle. He's with you always, even unto the end of the age. And we know the age hasn't ended. And so we know that Jesus remains with us. He said also that he said, I'll send my spirit and my spirit will not only be with you, but he will also be in you. And here was Gideon thinking, I'm nobody. God has forsaken us. And all the time, God was right there with him and God had never forsaken him. Y'all read the poem and maybe seen the picture, you know, footprints in the sand, where the guy's complaining, you know, he, you know the, and the Lord says, whose footprints are those? He says, those are my footprints. And, and uh, you know, and the guy, the, the guy thought those were his footprints. And he thought he had been traveling alone. But the Lord says, no, those are my footprints. I'm carrying you. And so our perspective on things is not always right. And the way we see our own situation is not always right, is not always correct, because we don't, we don't consider the facts, the full facts. Even when we know the facts, we forget to consider the facts. We think in terms of how old we are, how educated we are, how sick we are. Or how rich or poor we are. We tend, we tend to think in terms of our bank balance. Our pain levels. Our mess ups. Our background and our experiences. And we judge our potential by those things. Which are facts. As far as we know them. You know, we really don't know the true condition of our bodies. Even the doctor says it appears that, or it could be that you have this, or we think, you know, there's a 70% chance it could be this. we got to have more tests, which means they, they want to make more money. And then when they finally give you the diagnosis, they, they, they add this little addendum to it covering their own behinds saying this could be I- incorrect. Good. Amen? <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of like, why did I even bother to come here? You don't know anything. And you know, they really don't. They don't know anything unless you tell them. First thing they ask is, how you feel? Got any symptoms? Everything okay? And I'm thinking, I'm paying you. You tell me how I feel. It's probably no, you know, y'all can probably understand why I I can't keep a doctor. I keep going from one doctor to another. And I I think it's because I witnessed to them and if I think they're being foolish, I tell them. Like that wonderful doctor that I had a, few, a couple of years ago. I mean, he was a really good, I really liked him. He was a Christian. I really liked him. And, and he would sit down and take time with me and explain all the, you know, blood tests and all that stuff. And what all, everything meant. And he would show me where I was a year ago and how far I've come and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, he was really, he was really a, 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 an informative doctor. But man, the last few times I went to him, he'd spend 30 minutes trying to get me to take the vaccine. And I said, "I don't want to take the vaccine." And he says, "Oh, you need that vaccine." And I said, "No, I don't trust that vaccine." He said, "Well, you got to trust somebody." And I said, "Yeah, I trust Jesus." He's the great physician. "Oh, I know that, but, but. I mean, Jesus is great, but and and I and he then he started putting a guilt trip on me. He's saying you're a pastor of a church. You're going to infect your whole church. Your whole church is going to die. Well, you know it's 2023 and we haven't had anybody die. We haven't had anybody die because of me. And uh, and uh, you know people yeah, how many of your people did you lose to COVID. Well, we hadn't lost anybody. And, and and some of, some took the vaccine, some didn't. And you know we're not we're not judging you whether you did or you didn't. But the fact remains, Pastor Thomason didn't kill you. There you go. And I told the doctor, I said I said God's not going to let that happen. I said that God God will not let that happen. And uh, and he was just oh he just insistent. So I changed doctors. I, I got Heather Sharp. I picked her out of the directory. I liked her first name because my daughter's Heather, and I want a doctor that's Sharp. And so I went to Heather Sharp. She's a younger lady, uh, you know. And she has never once, not one time, mentioned vaccines of any kind. She had not one time. She hadn't even tried to put the flu vaccine on me. I mean. And the last time I was in there, she said, you're a model Patient. She says, all oh, your numbers are just perfect. And I said, Praise God. She said, Yeah. Now now she's sharp. I'll keep her as long as they let me. Amen? But she's not always trying to push things on. She's not telling me, well, because of your age, you can expect this, that, and the other. She doesn't do that to me. Ruth had a doctor, she went to one of her doctors, and and the doctor said, you know you're the age now where your, your body's going to start falling apart. Ruth wouldn't, she never went back. She didn't go back to that. <laughs> you don't mess with Ruth, boy, she'll, she'll cut you off. Amen? Don't you tell her her body's going to fall apart. Amen. Amen. So, you know, uh, the facts are deceiving. And people who go by the facts who go by the physical facts, what they see, what they perceive with their eyes and their ears and their touch, they are not aware of all the facts. If you have no spiritual vision, you're cut off from truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father. No man finds God without me. Another place the scripture says you you can't even approach God unless the Holy Spirit draws you. Even repentance is a gift from God. You can't even repent of your sins unless God grants you repentance. Amen? Those are the facts. And so what God knows about you is based upon what He knows about you. God knows what He what he made you to be. God knows that he made Gideon to be a judge and a deliverer for Israel. Gideon was destined to be that before he was even born. It was written into his DNA. It was planted in his personality. And he didn't know it. He didn't see himself as a leader. He didn't see himself as a deliverer. He didn't see himself as a mighty man of valor. And nobody else did. Only God. But when God opened his eyes to it, he was emboldened by it. And God's first commandment to him was to go and cut down his father's idol groves. A grove, a grove was, was a, 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 a really a, a, a grove of trees that, where people would go and worship false gods. And his, his own father was an idol worshiper. His own father had enough land and money that he had planted groves and, and had dedicated those groves for the worship of Baal. And the whole community was worshiping in those groves. And God told Gideon, go chop them down. And with the wood, build me an altar and offer up a sacrifice. And Gideon got some of his guys, and they went and did it at night. (laughs) He still wasn't quite sure. So he went at night, and they did it. And then the next, you know, he took ten of his servants, and they went and cut down the groves and offered up a sacrifice to God. And the next day... People found out what had happened. They said, who did it? And, of course, somebody squealed. Oh, <laughs> One of his ten servants probably said, Gideon did it. Yeah. Like he did it all by himself. Amen. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, they came after Gideon. They wanted to kill Gideon. And Gideon's dad, bless his heart, said, you know, let Baal defend himself. Said, if, if, uh, if he offended our God, let our God deal with him. And of course, their God never showed up. Amen? Well, let's look at some other people who thought themselves weak and powerless, but became mighty when they realized that God was with them. Remember Saul? Saul, before he became King Saul, he was a shy boy. The Bible, the Bible talks about his, how timid he was, and uh, even though he was tall, stood head and shoulders above everybody else, he was shy. He was timid and kind of backwards, kind of a country boy. And uh, you remember that time that he went looking for his dad's lost donkeys, and, and God, God helped him find the lost donkeys, and and he kind of became a family hero because he recovered the lost donkeys, and and uh, but it was all. It, it, the whole story, that whole story about the donkeys was illustrating his timidity, his his shyness. And yet one day here comes Samuel and, uh, you know, the people wanted a king. And so Samuel anointed him king of Israel. He was the first king of Israel. And if he had kept his humility, yeah. if he had kept his humility, he would have been a very successful king. Yeah. But because he got, you know, Sometimes when you promote somebody to a position of power, they get big-headed, right. and they get to thinking that they're all that. Well, what Saul never realized was it was the presence of God in his life that made him what he was. Right. And he sinned against the presence of God, and God removed his presence, took his anointing from him. The anointing represents the presence of God. And then God was looking for someone else, and he found some other Guy, who was humble, yes. and that was a shepherd boy out tending his father's flocks, so taking care of family business. A little bit treated a little bit disrespectfully by his family. There's speculation that he was he was a, a an illegitimate child of Jesse. And uh, you know I've heard that I don't know how they could prove it but the way they treated him kind of indicated such because when, when Samuel came to anoint a king, God sent him to Jesse's house and says, I'm going to anoint one of Jesse's sons and I'm going to put the anointing that was on Saul on, on uh, one of Jesse's sons. They all, lined, all He lined up all of his sons, his good-looking sons, his tall, handsome sons, and Samuel stood in front of each one of them, and God said, "No, no, no, no." See, Samuel didn't—he didn't. Samuel didn't have the discernment to be able to pick him out. He's just following God. And, and they went down the line, and they looked at every one of Jesse's sons, and and, the, and none of them were the one. So Samuel turns to Jesse and says, "You got another son somewhere?" Jesse says yeah yeah I got one in the wood, Paul. I'm not so proud of him you know I got him out I got him out tending the sheep we didn't even tell him about this meeting kind of indicates there's something there's a back story to that and, but Samuel insisted so they went and got David David comes down you know not suspecting anything not expecting anything not knowing who he was. Even David didn't know who he was. He was, just, he was just a worshiper of God. He spent his idle time well. He didn't watch TV. He didn't stay, look at YouTube. He would just worship God while he's out there minding the sheep. He didn't spend his time out there on the hillside looking for a signal. I heard someone say, if we looked at our Bibles as much as we look at our phones, what a difference that would make. <laughs> you think about it. It's probably a good thing David didn't have a phone. Because he's out there just communing with God, fellowship. And God, God is looking for people whose hearts are upright. God knew. See, God knew where David was because David knew where God was. David was a worshiper of God long before he became king. And God knew it. And so God had David brought forward and God put his anointing on David to be king. Now, David's brothers didn't accept it. His own father didn't accept it. Nobody believed it. I'm wondering if Samuel even, and it was, it was much later before David rose up through the ranks and won enough battles and defeated enough enemies that he became king. He became king shortly after uh, Ziklag was burned and his own men turned on him and they were going to stone him. Two weeks later, he was king. cause you remember when David recovered all the all that he recovered was everything that they had taken everything the Philistines had taken from him and all the stuff they had and he had enough loot to give all of his men a cut to bless all of his men give them a bonus and then he had enough loot left over to go and bribe a few a few of the uh uh city rulers around just enough that they could vote him in as king. Y'all didn't know David bribed his way to the throne. Well, people are doing that today. I mean, you know. But it was God who gave him the victory and God who gave him the money. And it was God who gave him the favor, ultimately. But, you know, Ziklag, which was supposed to be his darkest day, actually is what turned everything around. Because who God was with David. See when God is with you, who can be against you? Amen. And then how about how about Peter? Y'all remember Peter, the day Jesus was tried. I'm not talking about the braggadocious Peter, you know. I'm not talking about the Peter, you know, that you know big mouth Peter, bragging to Jesus about all. I'm talking about the real Peter when the chips were down, Peter? The coward, Peter? The Peter who denied Jesus three times in one night? The Peter who failed? That Peter? What does the Bible say he did when he heard the cock crow? It says he went out and wept bitterly. He saw himself as a traitor, a betrayer, a weak man, a failure, a Judas made a a worse mistake. Judas went out and hung himself. Peter went out and just felt sorry for himself. He wouldn't, you know, Peter might have been too cowardly even to kill himself. But he was low. I'm telling you, he was low. How many of you would agree that that night Peter was low? Amen. Amen. Jesus never forgot Peter, though. First thing when Jesus raised from the dead was he said, go find Peter and tell him I'm raised from the dead, and tell him I'm looking for Amen? Well, something happened between that day and the day of Pentecost. Anybody know what it was? Acts 1.8. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power from on high, and you will be my witnesses, says the Lord. You'll be my witnesses. Well, Peter was there. Peter heard that. And Peter realized, you know, when the Holy Ghost comes, I'm going to be a different person. I'll have power to to stand up for Jesus. I'll have the power to stand death in the face. And he did. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost came and Peter stood up. And he began to preach. And 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. A few days later, Peter and John are going to the beautiful gate through the beautiful gate into the temple, and the lame man was sitting beside the gate. Y'all know the story? Silver and gold have we none, but that which we have we give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ rise up and walk. They took him by the hand, the man was miraculously healed. It was such a notable miracle, even the Sanhedrin couldn't deny it. But they did bring Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. And Peter took up for himself. He spoke boldly. He said, "This man that you sit stands before you whole was not made whole by us, but by the one you crucified, and whom God has raised from the dead. And we're witnesses that he's raised from the dead by faith in Jesus. As this man stand before you whole, who was he talking to? The same people he denied Jesus in front of, just a few days before." And what was their comment? We perceive that these men have been with Jesus. It could just as easily say, we perceive that Jesus is with these men. Because he was a different man when he had received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he was able to to walk into his destiny. Amen, and fulfill his call and his purpose. Even though he thought lowly of himself, he realized that he was great when God was in him. Amen. And uh, you know, and that was uh, that was Peter. Well, then how about Paul? Y'all remember Paul? He didn't start out Paul. He started out Saul of Tarsus, and he was a smart man, and he knew it. He was brilliant. He was the head of his class. His class had one student in it. And his teacher was Gamaliel, the most sought-after uh, uh, tutor in all of the world. His father, who happened to be a shipping magnet, a Greek shipping magnet, like Aristotle and Nassus, you know, he, was, he, was, he would be a billionaire in our time. That was Saul of Tarsus's father. Saul's mother was a Jewish woman. So he had Jewish and Roman citizenship. Saul of Tarsus. He had the highest education in the land. He was said, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He knew the he knew the law. He knew the word of God. He was very skillful in all these things. And he was, he was a very devout man. So devout that he, he if he thought you were being a, a heretic, he'd kill you. I mean, he was, he was that devout. And he was on the Sanhedrin. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Which means <clears throat> he was there when Peter stood up. He was there when Jesus was tried. He was there when Stephen was stoned. And he was consenting. He, in other words, he gave authorization for them to stone Stephen. You couldn't just stone somebody. You had to be authorized to stone somebody. He's the one who gave the authorization. Bible says he held their coats while they stoned Stephen. He was, he was something else. He, and he was full of himself. He was one proud, arrogant aristocrat. Had it all going on. Had money, had power, and had convictions. Then one day, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And everything changed. From that point on, we see humble Paul. He changed changed his name to his Greek name, his name was not changed. He just started going by his Greek name instead of his Jew name because his Jew name was associated with persecution. A lot of folks think he just got a new name. No, he just, he just took his Greek name and started going by his Greek name because it's Saul, when people would introduce him as Saul, it, it caused fear. People couldn't trust him. But when they introduced him as Paul, oh, we never heard of you. you know, so come on in. Amen? Everybody thinks he changed his name. No, he just started using his Greek name. Amen? How many of you know I'm telling the truth? Okay, three of you. Okay. The rest of you are just going to have to trust me. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I, I, I laugh when I hear people preaching and they talk, you know, and they say, they say things like God gave him a new name. Well, that's not. He does have a new name written down in heaven, but that's, that's not Paul. Okay, Paul was his Greek name, the name his father gave him, okay? Amen. So, uh, he became a man who would say things like this, I am the chiefest of sinners. I am the least of the apostles. Not worthy, one place he said, I'm not worthy to even be counted among them. Yeah, he had a very low opinion of himself because he remembered what he did. You know, it's hard to escape what you did. Yes. And God may forgive you of it, and, and, uh, and God may say it's under the blood, and let's move on, but you still remember it. Yes. And you still fight the, the, uh, the shame and the guilt of what you did. Yes. Amen. But God doesn't look at that. He looks at what's there now. Yes. And when God looked at Saul and, or Paul, God saw a man who had been redeemed by the blood, a man who had Jesus with him and the Spirit of God in him, and a man that he had called for a specific purpose, Amen. to be a light unto the Gentiles. A witness to the Jews, but a light unto the Gentiles. And Paul is a, is a light for us. Paul continues to be a light. And I know when he's talking about being the chiefest of sinners and the lowest among the, uh, um, the apostles, he wasn't thinking, he had no clue of his impact upon my life and your life. Now in heaven he sees it. But you know in heaven he gives all the glory to Jesus. But you see, Jesus didn't stop him on the road to Damascus to stop persecution. Persecution. That was a side benefit. Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus because Jesus had a purpose for him. Jesus had a call. There was a destiny placed upon him. And Jesus knew it. Paul didn't know it. Paul had to learn it. It had to be unfolded to him. Amen? God told Simon, and Simon said, I'm still afraid to go. God said, no, you go because he, I, I've called him to be a light unto the Gentiles. When he gets there and gets his healing from the blind eyes, Simon tells him what God told him. And, and, but Saul was a newbie. And he, he, didn't, he didn't believe that. He didn't receive that. He didn't understand that. But as time unfolded, he began to understand that what was prophesied over him was true. And there are a lot of things that have been spoken concerning you Amen. that you didn't see as divine destiny. I think a lot of us have were given names by our parents. And our parents didn't realize when they gave us those names, what those names meant. And that every time we were called by that name, our destiny was reinforced in us. Amen? Like my name. Ronnie. Ronnie is a derivative of Ronald, which is a derivative of Reginald, which means Prince. So my parents named me Prince, not even knowing they were doing it. My middle name is Dale, D-A-L-E. You know what a Dale is? A Dale is a fertile valley through which a river meanders. River doesn't rush down through it. The river meanders and waters the fertile valley. So I'm the prince over a fertile valley through which the river of God meanders. You could call it Cornerstone Church. Amen. Not a, you know, know, he, he didn't make me some big king. He just made me a prince over a fertile valley through which his river meanders. And you are camped around that river this morning. I believe in that. Amen. Thomason, son of Thomas. You know what Thomas means? Twin. You know what my dad was? An identical twin, and I'm the son of him. So even my last name was fulfilled. Son of a twin. My uncle George and my dad, Seth. They had one name picked out, Seth George. And then when they came out, there was two of them, so they just divided the name, Seth, George. Yeah. Seth was first, George was second, by a few minutes. And they didn't give them the middle names. My dad or my Uncle George, neither one of them had a middle name. People would ask them, what's your middle name? Don't have one. So they'd put down zero. I remember one time somebody called my dad, Seth Zero Thomason? Is Seth Zero Thomas in here? <laughs> very prophetic. Very very prophetic name that I was given. Your name means something. Irene means pearl of pearl of great price. Hey, everybody's heard of Ruth. Amen. What does Ruth mean? I forget. Faithful friend. friend. Amen. How many of you think she's a faithful friend? I'll guarantee you she is. Praise the Lord. I'm telling you what. uh, You know, Paul, Paul, when Paul was willing to be humbled, he became the great apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But I remember one time he, he, uh, he discovered... Uh, he he made a discovery it's found in second corinthians chapter twelve are y'all enjoying this i'm just I'm just kind of me- i'm meandering down the river right now this is like lazy river you know we're just kind of I saw a video somebody posted on Facebook this week they were going down the one of these rivers uh, uh, uh where they get on the inner tubes and they just go down the slow river y'all have done some of y'all have done that yeah one of those and they were on this they were on this inner tube and they were going down the river and it comes around a corner comes around a curve and there's this big log hanging over the river and on that log was this gigantic alligator, and they're headed straight for him, so they start paddling you know with their hands and screaming and that i mean that that was that looked like a fourteen footer laying across that log and to them it probably looked like you know pterodactyl or something but I mean it was it was huge, and just laying there sunning, you know. He didn't even move, and they start screaming and paddling. I'm saying sometimes when you get on a river, you run into things you don't expect. Maybe this morning, as we are going down the river, the fertile river, uh, maybe you'll get something you didn't expect. Second Corinthians twelve seven, Paul says, uh, and lest, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. What was his thorn in the flesh? A messenger of Satan. That's all you need to know. It didn't come from God. There was given to me of God a messenger of Satan. No, that don't make sense. People tried to define what it was, and they tried, well, his eyes were weak, or he had a physical illness, and God wouldn't heal him. There's no place in the Scripture that, that where God ever refused to heal somebody. Amen? And we know that He asked three times for this to be removed. And, and, uh, and, 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 well, let's look at what God said. He said, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's not a no, people. He asked God three times to remove it, and God did not reply in the negative. Do you see anything negative in what God said? He said, my grace is more than enough. Sufficient means more than enough. My grace is more than enough for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. My strength made perfect, in other words, it's completely revealed. Revealed. My strength, God's strength, is revealed in your weak places. So if you consider yourself weak and incapable of doing something, God's grace in you makes you strong. Most gladly, therefore, he says, will I rather glory in my infirmities. That word infirmity does not mean sickness, it means weakness in inabilities, lack, lack of ability, lack of talent, lack of power. He said, I, I, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, because of this, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. In other words, I take pleasure in the bad stuff. I take pleasure in the hard times. What's take pleasure? It means he enjoys. I enjoy the hard stuff. I enjoy the hard times. I enjoy the tribulations. Take pleasure means to enjoy. Right? If you're taking pleasure in something, that means you're enjoying it to the hilt. He says, I get giddy happy. Whoopee! When they bring it on. Why? Because when I am weak, then am I strong. When I'm weak, that's where I'm going to find Jesus. I'm going to find His presence right in the place where I need it. So the more needy I am, the more I'm going to have his presence manifested. Hmm. So if you want to see Jesus in your life, admit your weakness. Own up to your weakness. And call on his grace. And you'll see Jesus. Now here's the prayer that Paul prayed for all of us. Colossians 1.9. Colossians 1, 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, he heard about their faith, do not cease to pray for you. This is his unceasing prayer. And to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God verse 11 says, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You see, he says, I pray that you will have an understanding of who it is that has called you and who it is that is with you and the power that he has strengthened you with so that He can be everything He is in you. How many of you believe Jesus is big in heaven? You think He's big in the universe? The universe still obeys His voice. Jesus wants to be as big as He is in heaven, and as big as He is in the universe, He wants to be that big in you and in His church. And once, as we begin to realize more and more and more who we really are in Christ, we're going to stand up bolder, stronger, and we're going to do exploits in His name. The Bible says in more than one place that He has called us to do exploits in the earth. Gideon was doing exploits when he destroyed the Midianites with 300 men and one sword. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. They had one sword. And they, they, they defeated the Midianites. Hello? That's an exploit. You want to read about exploits? Read read about David's mighty men. Read read about you know read about Samson. Read the book of Judges. I mean, the book of Judges is a book of exploits. All of it happened during hard times, during troublesome times, difficult times. But God always raised up somebody. He raised up men. He raised up Deborah, a woman. He, he's he's raised up people. To do exploits. Whenever God raises someone up, it's to do exploits. Amen. I I believe God raised up Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump does exploits. He, He does things that no one has ever been able to do. I hear it all the time from his enemies and his friends. Saying, we've never seen a man who could endure the opposition, the way he endures, and still laugh about it. You know what that is? That's God's grace on him. No human man can endure what he's endured except God be with him. Amen. I mean, people come like Nicodemus at night and they say, Donald Trump, no man could do the things you do except God be with you. And he agrees. He recognizes it. People talk about him being arrogant and brash and conceited and self. You know, that man, listen, that man knows. I heard it from his own mouth. He knows where his strength comes from. And he gives God glory for it. Don't listen to his enemies. Amen? We worship the man? No. No. Do we approve everything he says and does? No. It's like someone said, we weren't voting for a pastor. We were voting for a a president, a leader, a warrior. It's going to take a warrior to get this country out of the pit. But don't think it can't happen and don't think God can't do it because when God raises somebody up, he raises them up to do exploits. And he's raising up others in the land to do exploits. Amen? Amen? I think our own governor was the one that God raised up. And, and it saved Florida from a whole lot of stuff that other states had to go through. God's still in the raising up business, folks. And He knows where to find you. You may be out minding the sheep. Just singing on the hilltop. God knows how to get you from there to a throne. God got Joseph out of the dungeon, out of the pit, and got him on the throne of Egypt. In a day. How long does it take God to exalt? He can do it in a day. Just ask Joseph. Amen? Now, Joseph might have thought it took 20 years, but in the end, it was just a day. One day. In one day, God can bring you into your destiny. Doesn't matter how old you are, how broken down you are, how suffering from arthritis you are, or whatever. Whatever you give to God, God can use it in whatever shape it's in. Amen? Amen. And so I want to challenge you this morning to just ask God to show you what He sees. Show, not what you see. You need to see what He sees. Thou mighty man and woman of valor. Amen? Why? Why? because the Lord is with you. Don't doubt it. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Go ahead. We're going to have our ushers bring the communion elements, and we're going to take communion together. I I love doing this, folks. To me, you know, someone said, well, you don't have very many altar services. This is an altar service. Amen? I don't have to call you down here on this carpet. For us to have an altar service. Communion is an altar. We, we come together around, around the elements. Amen? And, uh, and there's nothing that you can accomplish up here on this carpet with me laying hands on you and praying for you that cannot be accomplished by you taking communion. Amen? Healing for your body. Forgiveness for your sins. Deliverance from all evil powers. It all happens through the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. Without the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus, all our praying, all our anointing with oil would be of no avail. But because of the body and the blood, it's all possible. I cannot count how many times I've taken the emblems into a sick person's hospital room or bedchamber's and just sat down with them and served them communion. How many times I've seen God heal them and raise them up. Why? Because they're focusing their faith where it needs to be focused. Focus your faith where it needs to be focused. My faith is focused on Jesus' body and His blood. Amen? Lord Jesus, right now, as we hold the bread in our hands, we remember that it was You who said, This is my body, which is broken for You. As often as You do it, do it in remembrance of me. See, up until that time, every time they broke bread, they were doing it in remembrance of the Passover back in Egypt. But Jesus changed their focus. Instead of looking back, He had them looking forward to the cross. And for us, we're looking back on the cross. But our focus is no longer on the blood of a lamb. Our focus is on the blood of the lamb, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen? See, I don't think lamb when I eat this. I don't think a sheep or a goat when I eat this. I think Jesus. When I eat this, I think Jesus. Ooh, that's different. Amen? That's different from a fuzzy little lamb. This is Jesus. So as we eat this together, I want you to think about Jesus. Eat it with me. And then the cup wasn't the cup wasn't the blood of sheep and goats turtle doves and pigeons and whatever else they offered oxen but it Jesus said this is my blood this is the blood of Jesus this is my blood so when we drink this let's think about the blood of Jesus that washes away every stain that guarantees us a better covenant. Amen? Let's drink together. Amen? Now lift your hands to the Lord and just thank Him. Thank Him for the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus that was laid down for you, the blood that was shed for you. Thank Him for it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for including me in your great redemption plan. Thank you, Jesus, that with your stripes I am healed. Thank you, Jesus, that by your blood, by your blood, I am sanctified. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a preacher in Louisiana. pastor's a big church owns more Christian radio stations than any man alive. He's 89 years old. And he still sings and preaches. His name's Jimmy Swagger. I started following him on Facebook. And uh, I was listening to him. T- today he's, he's old and tired enough that he preaches sitting down in a chair. But he's still strong. A man that the world hates, despises, and refuses to forgive. And a good portion of the church, when you mention Jimmy Swaggart, they think about his sin. Do you all realize that was over 40 years ago? How would you like to be held to something you did 40 years ago? I understand the world doing it, but it's wrong for the church to do it. And you know what that man discovered? In the midst of his sin, in the midst of his total worldwide humiliation and embarrassment, he discovered that God never left him, that Jesus never left him. And he rediscovered God's forgiveness. God's grace and mercy. Well, he'll never regain the ministry he lost, but he still got a great ministry. Church of you know about three thousand people. His son pastors it now, Donnie. Man, I knew Donnie when he was about five years old. See, I used to help Jimmy Swaggart set up his his books and album tables back in the day I even got to preach a Vesper service right ahead of him preaching first time I ever preached to over a thousand people (coughs) they didn't come to hear me they came to hear Jimmy and I was just as disappointed in him as you were when he fell but what blesses me is he didn't stay fallen He rose up. His wife forgave him. He's still married to Francis. His son pastors his church and speaks highly of his dad. And at 89 years old, he still plays the piano better than I can. Still sings. And he can carry a tune. He is a living example of what God can do if you surrender your life to Him. Amen? So if you think you've sinned away your day, if you're alive, there's still a chance for you. Amen? If you think you've made so many mistakes in your life, and you've got such a colorful past that God can't use you, (coughs) God can use you, and He can even use your colorful past. Wouldn't that be wonderful if God could use your mistakes to save somebody else? If you'll let Him, He will. Amen. God loves you so much. But see, He loves you so much, He won't make you do it if you don't believe. There came a point when Gideon had to give, get up and go act like it was so. Amen? Now he, you know, he put God to the test a few times and God was patient. I'm not, I'm not saying you, you you need to put God to the test because you know more than Gideon does. You've got his story. you got the story of these other guys I talked about. We don't, we don't have to put God to the test like those men did. We just need to believe what we know is true. Amen? How many of you are going to trust God this week and start searching for that potential that is in you that you don't know about? Amen? Stand up with me and say, Lord. Let me hear you say it. Lord. That's the key right there. Robert made the statement earlier, God is in control. And I, said, I turned to Ruth and I said, He's in control of me for sure. How do I know that? Because I gave Him control. I surrendered control. So if He wants to make me the king of the world, even though I don't think I could do it and I don't really want it, if He wanted to make me king of the world, I'm submitted to it. Please don't. Don't ever tell God there's something you won't do. Because He loves to God's, God's got humor. Amen. So there's not a place on this earth I have told God I won't go because I don't want Him to send me there. <laughs> I put in my request for certain, you know, wonderful spots. And it's funny, I've never gone there. I've always gone to where I didn't even think about God. I never dreamed, never dreamed one time, not one time that I ever dreamed that I'd live in Jacksonville, Florida, or Broken Bow, Nebraska. Who dreams about going to Broken Bow, Nebraska? I didn't even know it was there. You know, I didn't even know where Jacksonville was. I had to look it up on a map. Never once in my life did I ever dream about the places I've gone. But the Bible says you make your plans and God will direct your steps. So you know what I did? I planned on going. I prepared myself to go and then God is the one who directed my steps to wherever I've gone. And I don't regret, I don't regret Broken Bow, Nebraska, because I wouldn't have met the Jays if I hadn't have gone to Broken Bow, Nebraska, or the Armors, or the Fellows. I don't regret coming to Jacksonville, I wouldn't have met Ruth if I hadn't come to Jacksonville. Of course, I didn't meet her here, I met her in Savannah. I don't regret driving through Savannah that day. Amen. I have no regrets. Because I know who's guiding my steps. God with you is all that matters. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, God with you is all that matters. God with you is all that matters. Amen. All right. Well, take Him with you then. Wherever you go. Amen. God bless you.